passage this morning comes from Exodus chapter 24. So follow along in your Bibles or uh, follow along um, to the words on the screen. This is God's word. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we... um, Thank you for your, your word, and, and we ask now that your spirit would uh, be with us as we hear your word, as we meditate on it, and as we seek to apply it. Uh, we thank you for the truth and the beauty and the power that your word is, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, and we just ask now that we would see it um, just in new and old ways and uh, be lifted up by it and encouraged by it. That's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So when I was growing up, uh, I wasn't allowed to trick-or-treat on Halloween, um, but my parents did let me uh, dress up every now and then. And I remember one year uh, dressing up as Moses, and I can't remember if that was my choice or my parents' choice. Um, I tend to think maybe it was, it was their choice, and, and I think through that they maybe were teaching me uh, of the importance of Moses, of who he was. And I remember wearing some kind of robe or 
something in you know, the beard of cotton balls. And uh, my brother, I don't remember who he dressed up that year, if it was Aaron or, or someone else. Um, but I also remember dressing up as Spider-Man another year. So, you know, we can uh, argue his place of importance. But, um, but I think my parents wanted me to, to see how important Moses was and is. And yes, he is a titanic figure in the Old Testament story. Uh, in fact, he was the Old Testament prophet who enjoyed the greatest closeness with God of any of the prophets. So as we look to unpack this covenant with Moses this morning, uh, really it's important to uh, set the background that leads us up to the events here in Exodus 24. So if we go back to the end of Genesis, uh, we had Joseph and his brothers, and you know, there was some tension there, and they eventually you know, straightened things out, and uh, they settle in Egypt, and God blesses them and grows them, and, and they become uh, quite a large people. Uh, and in Exodus 1, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is, is looking at them and says, hmm, and I'm not sure I, I like these Israel people. They're becoming a little bit too big and, and strong. You know, I think I have to do something about that. So he decides that Egypt will enslave the Israelites. Well, for hundreds of years, they're enslaved, and they groan out. They groan to God, and, and he hears their cry. And Scripture says he remembers his covenant that he made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So in Exodus 19 and 20, God delivers the Israelites from bondage to the Egyptians in the incredible Exodus event, and then gives them the Ten Commandments. So we cannot miss the enormity of of what that means, of the sequence of events there. God did not give them the law and say, do this and then you will be saved. Rather, it was, I have already saved you, I have already delivered you, now go and live as is fitting of my chosen people. So grace comes before the law. So three things, uh, main things this morning that we will reflect on, and these three things really feed into each other and and weave into each other. Uh, So the first thing is the particularity of God relating to man. So this summer we've been looking at the covenants in in the Old Testament, uh, and we've noticed a common theme that God is the one alone who establishes the terms of the covenant. Last week, if you were here, we heard about the the covenant with Abraham, how God revealed himself to Abraham, calling him from a pagan land and giving him incredible promises and establishing the terms of the covenant to Abraham. Well, throughout Exodus 24, we we see further God dealing with Moses and the people in the same way. Uh, In verse 8, It says, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. The Lord is the initiator of the covenant, the instigator, uh, if you will. The covenant in Scripture is not like some business meeting uh, where two sides come together and and both bring to the table what they would like to see and, and work towards a kind of a compromise. God sets the terms of the covenant. But we respond. We're not passive in the covenant. We certainly respond but God sets the terms. An aspect of this particularity is the holiness of God. Make no mistake, God is a friend to sinners and enters into intimate fellowship with us in union with Christ, but he is holy. We are like God in some ways, which is an amazing thought, but we are unlike God in many ways also, and we must not arrogantly assume that God is so similar to us that we can treat him as we would any other person in our lives. 
You know, God must never become so familiar to us that we forget that he is holy, that he is majestic, that he is separate from us, uh, not in relationship, but in greatness. And so it's good for us to pay close attention to the several places uh, here in Exodus 24 and the preceding chapters that speak to those unique ways that Moses and the people must approach God. Exodus 19.12 says, And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. And then Exodus 19, 21 and 22. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. And here in Exodus 24, in verse one, the Lord says to Moses to come up with Aaron, his brother, and Aaron's two sons, and the 70 elders of Israel, but to worship from afar. We see in verse 2 that only Moses was to approach the Lord more closely than the others. Uh, So there's a kind of a hierarchy that's at play between or involving Moses and Aaron and the elders and the people. Uh, In verse 16, we even see there that, that Moses, the great prophet, is made to wait for seven days before God calls him to ascend the mountain. Imagine what it was like being Moses during that week. So it's God who determines also who can see him and even the level of the glimpse. Throughout the Old Testament, God revealed himself in different ways at different times, uh, through visions or dreams or grand physical spectacles in nature like smoke and fire and thunder and lightning, but never face to face. So it's quite amazing if we look at verse 10, you know, what is going on there, uh, where it says they saw the God of Israel. So Moses and Aaron and Aaron's sons and the elders were afforded this sight, which seemed to be no more than a view of God's feet, uh, appearing to them like sapphire, which is one of the most lustrous and valuable of the precious gem stones. But you can imagine even this view of God's feet, how incredible that would have been. And in the very next verse, we're told that God permitted them this glimpse of himself and let them live. That is significant. But more than that, they ate and they drank. So at the very heart of covenant with God is worship and fellowship with God. And one way that we enjoy this is to share a meal. And we do this today, whether it's the Lord's Supper or a meal shared with fellow brothers and sisters. So it brings us to the second main thing this morning, and that is the, the law given and the people's response. The covenant with Moses served to form Israel into a nation. So if we go back to the covenant with Adam, uh, essentially it was a covenant with one man. The covenant with Noah down the road was with uh, one family and the covenant with Abraham with a much larger family. So we come to the covenant of Moses and a newly formed nation was happening. And thus, because of that, the need for a more codified form of law or a more structured law. And so as we look at these different covenants, there's really a beauty to them as they unfold in scripture. There's a progression to these covenants throughout the Old Testament redemptive story. 
So this giving of the law, there's a framework that comes with it, and that comes from Exodus 22, where it says there, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So God's presence with them, God's special relationship to them, his power to save them, really is the context in which he gives the law to Israel. Uh, One commentator writes, the laws have their place in the doctrine of the covenant. Yahweh has chosen Israel as his people, and Israel has acknowledged Yahweh as its God. This fundamental Old Testament principle is the direct basis of these laws. O. Palmer Robertson, another commentator and also pastor, says that what makes the covenant with Moses distinct is that it is, quote, an external summation of the will of God. An external summation of the will of God. Uh, Certainly Adam and, and Noah and Abraham had revelations from God as to what God required and what was good. But with Moses came a fuller summary of God's will that was written down. And this is what makes the covenant with Moses unique. John 1.17 in the New Testament says, for the law was given through Moses. We also see in this passage uh, the so-called book of the covenant. So in Exodus 20, God gives his 10 commandments, commonly divided by the first four that deal with our relationship to God, and the last six that deal with man's relationship to his fellow man. All the Ten Commandments, of course, have to do with relationship to God. But this book of the covenant uh, is more expansive than the Ten Commandments. Uh, In fact, it is the first time that a a book that was written is mentioned in the Old Testament. So we can think of this book of the covenant as the Israelites' Bible, so to speak, at this time, which included every aspect of covenant living, you know, what it meant to exist and to act as God's holy chosen people. And so the people respond. After Moses conveys the the Lord's words and rules, the people answer by saying, as recorded in verse 3, all the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. So this shows that man is not passive in the covenant. Yes, again, God sets the terms, but we are active in responding by faith. And think about it, it's to our advantage that we respond in obedience to God's covenant. After all, we are the creatures, we didn't make ourselves. God is our creator, so it's in our very best interest that we live in covenant relationship to God. But what do we know of those Israelites? Though they promised obedience and willingness, oftentimes they forgot what they said. Their actions didn't line up with what they spoke. But we're different today, right, than them? Not so much. Um, Human hearts are the same today as they were thousands of years ago. We make promises, we make commitments, perhaps even with passion and excitement and gusto. Uh, But as time goes by, we find ourselves not living up to what we promised, not holding firm to what we committed to. Uh, You know, as I think back over my life, I could come up with quite the list of the times that I didn't live up to what I promised and, and didn't hold firm you know, to the commitments that I made to others and to God. Temptations overcome us. We get distracted. We're beset by weakness. We're sinners. That's really at the heart of it. 
So that brings us to the third main thing for this morning, and that is blood. Now, some of you might not like the sight of blood, whether it's your own, whether it's someone else's. Uh, maybe you just can't watch certain war movies or certain scary movies just because the, the sight of blood just, you know, you can't do it. It makes you squeamish. Well, if we were there present uh, in the Israelites' people in that time, uh, there would have been a lot of, of blood. Uh, blood plays a central part in the covenant. Uh, let me reread verses 4 through 8. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So blood is how the covenant with Moses is, is ratified, is, is sealed, is put into effect. Half the blood was thrown against the altar, which symbolized atonement for Israel, and half was thrown on the people. Now, you might be thinking, okay, how did that work exactly? Uh, well, commentators differ on whether Moses sprinkled the blood on the 12 pillars that God told him to set up, which stood for the 12 tribes of Israel, or upon Aaron and his sons and the 70 elders. Whichever it was, the pillars or the leaders, they both were representatives of the people as a whole. And then so we might also be asking, why blood? Why is blood so important? Well, because blood means life. What happens when a creature loses a certain amount of blood? He or she or it dies. Leviticus 17.11 says this, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So we circle back to God's holiness, and that because God is holy, he cannot have sin in his presence. And he demands punishment for sin, a sacrifice of blood. However, the sacrifice of animals, as we see here playing out, was never meant to be permanent, but only a temporary provision that pointed ahead to something far greater and far better. If we go to the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 12 says, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The he there is Jesus. And the author of Hebrews hammers home the point that Jesus is greater than even the great Moses. Here also the words from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence in our boasting in our hope. 
Brothers and sisters, there are really two options when it comes to dealing with our sin before a holy God. We can pay the price of punishment that we deserve, or someone else can, but not just anyone else. No one here can do it. It has to be one who is without blemish, without sin, who can guarantee that the satisfaction of God's wrath against sin has been truly met. And that one is Jesus, the Son of God. And we must see the atonement for what it is, that Jesus dying and shedding his lifeblood on the cross means something. We can't just look to the cross and, 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 and see it as some kind of great moral example so that when we're having you know, a bad day or at a low point in our lives, we say, well, if Jesus did that, then, then maybe my life isn't so bad and, and I can pull myself together. Don't get me wrong, Jesus is our moral example, now and always, but the atonement is substitution. It was Jesus substituting his life in our place. Well, do we struggle with a heavy conscience? Maybe right now you are feeling this way. Uh, perhaps it's sins present or in the past that, that are plaguing you. Maybe it's just the thought of, of approaching God, that very idea of living before a holy God that terrifies you. Well, if we stay stuck wallowing in our sins or feel that we must clean ourselves up any time before we can approach God and come to him, then we really are missing the point of the gospel. Uh, once again, the words of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, uh, encourage us and, and remind us let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Our assurance, our confidence is in Christ. So then what of the law? You know, what do we make of the law? Uh, do we look at this covenant with Moses in this time in history and just say, well, the law had its place then and, and doesn't really have any effect today? Well, Jesus uh, responds to those kinds of doubts and questions where he says in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. However, it's important for us to know that the law is not a means of securing salvation for ourselves. And despite the focus of law within this covenant with Moses, the law at that time was not given for that purpose. For the follower of Christ, it is a guide for living. It's how we please God. The covenant with Moses and for us today, obedience is not the means of salvation, but the goal of salvation, the goal of holiness. And so we, we see examples in the New Testament uh, of the law and, and you know, uh, a great place that, that illustrates this is from Ephesians uh, in chapter 6, um, where it says, They are children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, the word children there, you know, even into adulthood, we can still honor our parents, we can still obey our parents but certainly, Scripture is full of, of promises of reward and even happiness when we obey God's law. Not that those should be the sole motivators of why 
we obey God's law, that should be love of God and, and love of, of neighbor. After all, Jesus summed up the law just like that. You know, to love God with everything that we have and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And then we think of these Ten Commandments, and again, you know, they maybe just seem a little bit archaic sometimes, but what we do is we, we look to them and we apply them to our modern situations and even think about them with a little more detail than sometimes we, we give them credit for. Thou shalt not steal. You know, you may be saying, well, I've never robbed a bank or mugged anyone or, or stolen anything large, but we expand that and even say, well, it work. Am I stealing time from my supervisor or my boss by what I do at work? Now, these shouldn't scare us, but rather just make us think more deeply about applying the Ten Commandments to every situation in our lives and asking, am I living in ways that are pleasing to God? Well, brothers and sisters, uh, I guarantee uh, this morning we will fail in obeying God's law. How many husbands and wives uh, have have you per- perfectly kept your vows uh, since your wedding day? But we don't despair in that. Uh, why? Uh, because it reminds us of who Jesus is and what he did. That not only did he die on our behalf if, if we're united to him in faith, but he lived for us perfectly. He kept God's covenant law perfectly at every turn, obeying every iota of it, putting himself under it for us. So as we look to Jesus, we also see our sin. The law, another purpose of the law is to reveal our sin. The Apostle Paul talks about this in the New Testament. But when that happens, we also behold God's grace. Uh, Augustine, the great church father, wrote, as a kind of, of prayer that we can pray to God, give us grace to do what you command. So our confidence is not in our keeping of the law. It's not in any kind of works that we have, our achievements or relationships, but firmly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. May our prayer be that we would delight along with the psalmist uh, who in Psalm 119 shouts, oh, how I love your law. Delighting in God's law. After all, his law comes from his character. The law comes from the heart of God. So in Christ, We today are in covenant with God, and we live in his abiding presence. Let's pray.